back with my church family this week. Um, a couple things before we get started. That song that you've been singing the last few weeks about authority, it goes so perfectly with what we're going to be preaching on the next two weeks, <clears throat> or three or three weeks. It's almost like you planned it, maybe. Um, but before we get started, I'm going to I'm going to borrow a little trick from a preacher that I like to listen to every once in a while. He's an African American Southern Baptist preacher named J.D. Greer, and before he preaches a sermon that's going to be tough, he tells everybody in his congregation to look to the person to the left. And look to the person on the right and say, this is going to be hard for you. I'm praying for you. So let's just do that right now. Look to the left and the right and tell each other, this is going to be hard for you. I'm praying for you. It's going to be difficult. Very difficult. <clears throat> my temptation was to steal that and make it my own. But, you know, we don't do that here. So um, the sermon title today is called Obeying Bad Government. Let's close in prayer. So... A couple introductory thoughts. Did you know over the last five years, there's been a 210% increase in deadly riots, looting, and mob violence, not just in the USA, but across the world. It's not an American problem, this violence and destruction fueled by economics, elections, COVID restrictions, and social justice. Paris has had five of them. Russia, Hong Kong, Australia, South Africa, Poland, Brazil, Sweden, Venezuela, Iran, Bangladesh, Northern Ireland, the UK, India, Brussels, Honduras, Nigeria, Ecuador, Johannesburg, Chile, Bolivia, Sudan, Indonesia, Thailand, and Greece. Doesn't stop there. New Delhi, the Ukraine. Italy, Israel, Argentina, I could name at least 20 more countries. Most of them have had multiple incidents of mob violence, riots, and looting. In America, we've had them in Milwaukee, Minneapolis, and Portland, Virginia, Washington, D.C., Memphis, Atlanta, Los Angeles. And those involved have justified their actions. I'm not talking about protests. I'm talking about when it turns to violence and destruction of private or public property. Most of those involved justify their actions as righteous outrage fueled by victimhood from evil government or society. Many believers, both liberal and conservative, tend to justify one motive or the other based on their political ideology. But what does God have to say about our role as Christians in politics and government, particularly as followers of Jesus Christ and members of that royal priesthood that I've been describing for you the last couple of weeks? Let's look at our passage today in 2 Peter, or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor, who, by the way, at that, that time was Nero, a pretty bloody guy, as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. The Greek word is actually liberty. Not using your liberty as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. 
Yeah, that stinks, doesn't it? Let's look at the historical application of this passage. What about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? What Peter is actually referring to is protesting Rome. We've already discussed in our study of 1 Peter, this was an extremely oppressive government. And after affirming their faith and teaching these deep theological concepts about election and being chosen, and then the stuff about them being a royal priesthood, a holy nation, Peter begins a treatise over the next several verses on the practical application of all of this. The first issue is this submission to the Roman government. This was an important debate going on among these persecuted first century Christians. They were dealing with a government far worse than anything Christians in America have ever dealt with. They were targeted by Caesar and his governors culturally, socially, economically, and with violence even to death. Yet Peter's commanding submission to Rome at every level. Live in peace, be model citizens, pay your taxes, obey the laws. Wait, what? Obey an emperor who's propagating actual tyranny? Political and bloody persecution on a daily basis because of their faith in Christ? How would you feel about living as a follower of Jesus in first century Rome and you got this command? Well, let's make it more personal. How does it make you feel today? I think American Christians have drawn a pretty low bar of what tyranny actually means both on the left and the right. But to understand why this was an important command from Peter, you have to understand that Jewish Christians and Jews in general had a legacy of protest. They were a protesting bunch of dudes, let me tell you. Civil rebellion was actually venerated by first century Jews throughout Rome. It was seen as a sacred act of courage and principle. Sedition justified through legal, social justice, economic, and political grievances was venerated and encouraged. For example, paying taxes to Rome when the money that these Jewish people were paying was being used to build actual pagan temples throughout the rest of the empire. Religious leaders justified circumventing Roman taxes and a collection of this whenever possible both the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And when these religious leaders tried to trick Jesus and ask him his opinion on paying taxes, Jesus commanded them, hey, pay your taxes. Jesus wasn't concerned about taxes. He wasn't concerned about Rome. He wasn't concerned about Caesar and his governors. He wasn't even concerned, get this, about pagan temples. His message was transcendent for all of those things. He was teaching about a higher allegiance to a heavenly kingdom. Not one that was to come in the future, but one that Jesus taught often, the kingdom of heaven is what? Now. It's one of the reasons Jesus was the object of such scorn. He would not embrace anyone's political, patriotic, or social justice mantles. I want to talk about a lesson learned. The guy writing this about being subject to government is Peter, who himself had a history of violent protest. Remember he chopped off the ear of the Roman soldier who was trying to arrest Jesus? I mean, if there was ever a cause for a revolt, that was it, right? Instead, what does Jesus do? He rebukes Peter. 
And he heals the ear that he chopped off. And then Jesus gives himself up to the Roman authorities. Later, Peter learned his citizenship in the kingdom of heaven was priority over his displeasure with earthly kingdoms. His priority became an expansion of a kingdom that was now through preaching the gospel and doing whatever was necessary to do so. This formerly brash, rebellious, violent Peter commands this church, these first century believers who are being persecuted to be the best Roman citizens they can possibly be. A royal priesthood who proclaims the gospel, works hard to live righteously and above all others, has this passion and purpose. This command is clearly connected. This command to be submissive to government is clearly connected to the role he outlined right before that about the royal priest for God's kingdom. And that role should take priority over any political passions, even if they are targets of Rome's actual tyrannical evil. No matter what Rome does, live in peace with the government for one reason, for the Lord's sake, so that you can do your job as a priest for God's kingdom. That's the history. What about the spiritual side? What about God and what does he do and why and how does he do it? I'm going to talk about this justice and liberty that Peter talks about. First, we have to answer this question. What, what is this thing about God and government? What's his relationship? You might, um, you might ask, you know, how could God be behind any evil government? Why would God command them to be obedient to Nero and Rome? You know, Scripture tells us the reason that we have any type of government, good or bad, is it's a tool. It's a tool he uses, you ready, to keep humanity's depravity in check. No government run by humans will ever be perfect. But God has always used these imperfect, sometimes tyrannical governments as a tool for earthly justice. Paul actually explains this about seven years earlier in the book of Romans. The same oppressive government, Nero as Caesar, he had taken over by this time. The same oppressive government Peter is talking about. Paul writes about, and instead of explaining to you, I'm just going to go ahead and read this passage for Romans chapter 13. It's seven verses. Bear with me. I'll try to read it slowly and as interestingly as possible so you don't doze off. But watch what Paul says. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. In other words, if you don't want to fear, do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subject not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. See, no matter your political ideology, we're all depraved. 
Yes, even us libertarians, believe it or not. <laughs> God uses earthly government to constrain our evil. There it is right there for you. I mean, Paul wasn't talking about God using a modern-day democracy there, was he? It was Nero. So, you know, you can try to explain that one away if you want, but you can't. It's a hard-hitting passage, is it not? But Peter talks about this liberty from evil. What did Peter mean when he commanded them to live in liberty from evil? How does that fit into submission to government? Eleutherpeo, apeia, and eleutherpos, here's the Greek word for liberty. It's liberty to omit things. This is what the word actually means that he used. Liberty to omit things that have no relationship to salvation. Things with no relevance in eternity. It says live free from those things. And then the next word he uses is kakea, which means wickedness that is not ashamed to break laws. He says live free from the things that have no relevance to salvation and cause you to do evil or wickedness, or things that remove your shame from laws, like ransacking public buildings, or burning down private ones, or becoming violent, or looting, evading taxes. See, Peter wasn't talking about personal constitutional liberty here. He was talking about liberty from obsession over earthly government and all of its flaws and evils. Liberty born out of a much higher passion than just opposing Rome. A passion to expand the eternal kingdom of God. Peter is commanding them to live free from evil lawlessness that would hinder their role as royal priests. And remember the role of the, Lord, the royal priests I taught you a couple of weeks ago in case you forgot? Proclaim the gospel, live with integrity, and whatever your job is, do it the best of your ability. Those are the three roles of a royal priest. Specifically, to evil lawlessness associated with opposing Nero and his oppressive governors in that region. Liberty from obsession with earthly passions that hinder their proclamation of the gospel. Obsessions that hinder them from living with integrity and working hard. That's why Peter says to live free from evil for the Lord's sake, why do we cooperate with the government? So that we can be effective servants of God, expanding his kingdom. All right, what about us? What are we supposed to do with these ridiculous passages on submitting to bad government? <laughs> I want to talk about the personal section. What about a higher purpose? This was my social media post this week, the Sunday Sermon Preview. Whatever your political passions, progressive or conservative, they became expendable the day God called you into his kingdom. Many evangelicals I know, both liberal and conservative, are convinced they know what kind of government God wants for our country. As a matter of fact, in the last six years, I've heard Christians from both sides of the political spectrum convinced they knew who God wanted to win. You see, our priorities can get so easily distorted, our passions so easily misplaced, and the result is a neglect of our higher purpose. 
When your passions about government supersede your kingdom passions and priorities, you have lost your way. Sadly, many Christians exchange kingdom hope for patriotic hope. Hope for what we want our country to look like. You can tell by how much time we'll spend on cable news channels, social media, political memes, than we would ever spend in kingdom work. Proclaiming the gospel, living with integrity, doing the best job you can. I fear the church is more engaged in politics. This is why I don't ever preach on politics very much. I fear the church is more engaged in politics than we are our role in the kingdom of heaven as its royal priests. Now, is there a time for godly disobedience? Is there a time that we are supposed to be disobedient to, to, our, to a tyrannical government? Yes. What does biblical disobedience look like? Well, when government attempts to hinder your role as a member of the royal priesthood, then it's time to disobey. When government forces you to violate a biblical principle, careful now, by the way, you're going to have to have a lot of wisdom about what Scripture actually says is a biblical principle they're asking you to violate. A lot of people think they know, but they don't even know how to read the Bible. So you need to be careful. You need to make sure you grab a lot of wisdom. Seek it out. Talk to people you trust in your life spiritually. I feel like this is something that's tyrannical. What do you think? You better not just make a snap decision. But if you can find a way that a government is forcing you to violate a biblical principle, then it's time to disobey. When government forbids you from proclaiming the gospel, then it's time to disobey. For example, Peter and Paul, who had this message of submitting to government, when Rome commanded that they could no longer preach the gospel, they didn't violently disobey. They peacefully disobeyed by saying, yeah, we get it, Nero, but we have to keep preaching. We're royal priests. We'll pay our taxes. We'll obey all other laws, whatever you want us to do, but we're not going to shut up about Jesus. See, at those points, we as royal priests can take on the, whole, the, the role of righteous, holy protesters who preach the gospel. And these criteria will be very helpful for you in helping determine when disobeying your government is biblical and righteous. But you better do it carefully because this warning about submission is six or seven places in the New Testament. So do not take it lightly. But I want to talk about this mythical idea of hope in government. Now listen, for those who don't follow Jesus, they don't have this burden of a higher calling of the royal priesthood. You understand that? They don't have to proclaim. They may or may not live with integrity. They may or may not do the best job they can, but we are commanded to do so. Now for them, their stakes in earthly government are high. Fighting, scratching, clawing for a government they believe in is one of their highest priorities. They are enslaved to it. Sadly, though, whatever their hopes, they'll never be realized. Government can never fully deliver. They will never be satisfied with the government they are fighting for or against. But American Christians... 
I fear, have made their earthly political hopes quite often a priority over their kingdom responsibilities. Look, can we be passionate about politics? Can we be politically active and still be in submission? Of course we can. Fortunately, by God's sovereign power, we live in a country where powers ordained by God allow us to do so with protests, voting, campaigns, freedom of speech. So all that is fine. But I have seen that some believers have more passion. I will confess to you as your pastor, sometimes I have had more passion for our government or our constitution than we do for God's word. Constitutions and government cannot be our main source of hope, church. Neither one of those are inspired or eternal like God's word. You must never allow your hope for politics, government, or the Constitution to interfere with your royal priesthood, ever. So while there is no hope in government, there is liberty through real hope. Can you see how hope for the perfect government on earth is a hopeless bondage? Can you see that? It's the opposite of liberty. It's hope in an earthly kingdom instead of trusting in the kingdom of heaven which Jesus teaches is right now. Don't get me wrong. If any of you know me at all, you know I love personal freedom that we enjoy in America. I really do. But I don't love my personal freedom more than I love the royal priesthood. Don't get me wrong. I believe in social justice. I believe it's critical and it's important. And don't judge me here, but the kingdom is more important than social justice. God hasn't called us to be progressive or conservative warriors. He's called us to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood that proclaims, lives with integrity, and does the best job we can at our profession. Obsession over constitutional purity or economic fairness is a worship of man, not God. It's not living in liberty. It's hopeless bondage. Keeping our priesthood our priority, actually, if you think about it, is what liberates us from the prison of failing hopes in politics or government. Once you truly understand the privilege of this royal priesthood, I'm not saying politics goes away, but it becomes less important. It becomes kind of trivial and boring, frankly, sometimes. Higher taxes, lower taxes, secure borders, open borders, socialism, capitalism... These aren't unimportant. Remember the important issues they were dealing with in first century? It was death and life. And believe it or not, church, there are true followers of Jesus. Some of, you, some of them are here in our midst on both sides of all of these issues and so many others. But these differences between us are a golden opportunity to live in liberty and peace with each other as priests in our community. There is only one righteous government, and that is the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus taught many times is right now. In that light, if you think about it this way, in that light, submission to a government you disagree with for the sake of the royal priesthood is actually worship and submission to Christ, is it not? If we're part of a royal priesthood, we have a much higher citizenship than any earthly citizenship we could possess. 
Understanding our eternal purpose liberates us from those earthly obsessions. Liberates us from unreliable hope in earthly government. Once you identify, now this is important. Once you identify as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus, as a member of this royal priesthood that proclaims the gospel, lives with integrity, and does their job the best you can, <clears throat> you have officially exchanged your political desires for Jesus's. Your priorities for his, no matter what. Heavenly Father, this concept is very difficult we are passionate people we love what we believe in <clears throat> we embrace it a lot of it is who we have been made to be but father we confess to you the sin of allowing our priorities to become more important than yours we confess to you that too often we have put the priority of our royal priesthood behind our priority as Americans. Lord Jesus, help us learn. Help us have wisdom to know when disobedience to government is biblical, when it's something you can bless, but Lord, also help us to know when our priorities are out of line. We want to be good citizens, but more than that,